Hello and welcome to another episode of the Roseland Podcast. I'm Chloe, your host, and in today's episode, we're diving once more into the history of the Roseland, this time focusing on Place and St Anthony with Nigel Hare-Scott. If this is the first episode you're listening to, well, you can find and listen to the podcast at roselandpodcast.com, on iTunes and Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and on all the other podcast apps. Just search for Roseland Podcast. And at rosenpodcast.com, you'll find links to any of the resources we mention. Okay, so it's time to find out some of the amazing things that have happened at Place over the years. Hello, Nigel. Chloe, good morning. Hello, it's great to have you have you on the show. We like we like a local author and we like a bit of history, and we managed to combine them both with you. So, so we're talking about your book, The Story of Place House, and it's about a little bit more than just the house, isn't it? Um, well, it's very flattering to be called an author anyway. I don't think that's ever happened before, so thank <laughs> you for that. Yes, indeed, it, it, it's very much more than Place House. Um, the title of the book mentions Place House because, of course, that's what everybody sees, that's what they recognise. But it is really about the area that Place House is set in and includes, of course, the history of the house. But... It is so much more than one story. It is, in fact, a, a compilation of stories. And local people, as I've said in the presentations, it's so important that they know them so that they can pass it down from generation to generation. And I was fortunate enough to be taken on holiday, although my, although my mother was born there, um, we only visited because my father was in the army and we came down in the summertime and initially stayed on one of the estate houses for our summer holidays, just like so many people do now. And latterly stayed in Bohortha when my parents um, had a cottage there. And it was when the house was a hotel. And at that time it was known as Place Manor Hotel. That was the only time that it was actually called the um, manor rather than place house. And my mother helped, and indeed my father did too, um, in the running of the bar in the, big of the, in the um, busy season. And most importantly, she made the cakes where she backed up my great aunt who also made them. And the hotel was managed by a wonderful gentleman called Edward Hart. And many thanks go to him for sort of giving me the ideas are in the book. Indeed, a lot of it is taken from what he has written. Because one of the promotions that he did was organizing ferry trips from Falmouth particularly, where people would come across and have a cream tea and then they'd have a tour, not so much of the house, but of the church. And in the church, they'd be given some wonderful background information to why it's there. And people who came on those tours have remembered it. Um, a few people in St. Moore's, well, since we moved here latterly, around about five or six years ago, have mentioned the stories to me and said, why does nobody know about this now? And I was encouraged um, being um, on the wonderful sailing club here to give one of the talks 
that are held during the winter season. And I was rather bowled over that having put it all together, um, it was such a sellout that I was requested to do another one. And people asked me if I could actually write the book. And the book really follows the presentation. And in that sense, rather than a sort of a lot of words, it is lots of pictures and the major slides that I showed in the presentation, the text are, is in the book, but also a narrative section that was written latterly by my mother before she died, sitting on the sea wall, which I fortunately asked her to do. And she will be absolutely astonished looking down from us from above because she certainly wasn't a particularly well-educated person, as you'll actually read in the text. She hardly went to school. She was a very early form of homeschooling. <laughs> and um, it's now out there, and people have actually complimented me on the text and said it made them laugh, as well as, of course, learn about what everybody living here um, should know and pass on, as I said at the beginning, to their children and future generations. What a cool way to come up, you know, what an awesome project that just has evolved and evolved and evolved and become this book where you've kind of pulled everything together to share it with the widest possible audience. It must must be a great feeling to have to have to have had such such audience inter interest in what you've been putting together. Um, it's really so fascinating because it if I could just sort of run through some of the sections that one's involved with, because mm. each of them in their own right, I'm sure a good professional author could write a story about. I mean, we have the very early days, which brings in the tin mining section. And from my own perspective, having been brought up on most of the stories of the church, which I'll come on about, the tin mining section was something I find absolutely remarkable. Um, particularly discovering the famous St. Maul's tin ingot, which was dredged off um, uh, off St. Maul's and has been dated back to, at the latest medieval, probably a lot earlier. And it's held in the Rashley collection in the Royal Cornwall Museum, where it is described as probably the most important object ever found in Cornwall. Wow. If you go to the museum, it is indeed in the Rashley collection, and it is probably arguably one of the more difficult items to find in the museum. <laughs> it would be astonishing at the time. But it's there, and it is proof that the early tin people seeking tin, Phoenicians or whoever they were, um, came to this area and were far more likely to come to this area, I think, than the St. Michael's Mount area, particularly with um, the Carnan River being so such a rich source of tin in the early days, moving up to United Downs, which, of course, was once described as the richest, era, richest square mile in the world. So we have a tin section, if you like. Mm -hmm. We have early Christianity and the wonderful story of Jesus visiting. And, of course, there may be 
a lot of scepticism about the visit, just like, of course, there is about Bible stories. But the important thing to recognise is that place house as it exists would not have been constructed as it is or where it is without our forebears believing the story to be true. Moving on, and we obviously go through the centuries quite quickly, Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn are obviously two of our most renowned former monarchs. And we have the story of them coming and staying at place at the time when it was a monastery. Henry VIII was building St. Maul's Castle and Pendennis Castle. And the story goes that he visited at the time with Anne Boleyn on their honeymoon. And the story is written by emblems in the church. And it is, in fact, recorded also um, in Burke's peerage because the Spry family was arguably, again, the Spry family inherited place as a monastery. Henry VIII, of course, destroyed monasteries, but the small monastic cell at St. Anthony was donated to the Spry family to an, through an Admiral Spry, who was the admiral who brought Henry, VIII, Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn down here on his boat. That is one version of history. Mm-hmm. There is another. Also <laughs> there <book>. always is. <laughs> Some would argue is more likely. But um, as I said, you could make a book out of that in itself. It's absolutely wonderful. Sadly, no pictures at the time, but we have the emblems in the church showing the proof of the visit. We then come on to the family story of the Spry's and their naval background and how they made their money. Um, And the answer to that is they were admirals and you capture ships and you get prize money. So most of the money that came for building the original place house, um, or certainly as it is now, um, originated from prize money mostly off the coast of America in, in the Seven Years' War. The book then has more stories about the descendants of the Spry's, and as an author, again, as you've kindly told me, told me of a coffee table book, it obviously becomes easier in the later years because you have photographs, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of pictures in the book of church and family in various settings and the happy times that were there. And then, of course, the more challenging times was the impact of the, um, the, the two wars, both of which have had a huge impact on my family personally, um, mainly, I can say, because I wouldn't have existed without either of the wars taking place because in the First World War, my grandfather was stationed very briefly on the headland whilst his regiment were training in Falmouth. And at that time, he came down, presumably to have a bath or something like that, to place house and met my grandmother. And that's how they met and they married after the war. And in the Second World War, my mother, who was just 16 Um, at the time, met my father, 
who was a dashing young second lieutenant manning ACAT guns up at St. Anthony Head. And he came down for a bath and he ended up getting a life sentence as well. That bath has a lot to answer for, doesn't it? <laughs> the power of hot water. <laughs> so it, it, thank you so much, Nigel, for taking us through those different elements. And it, it for such a a tiny spot on a tiny peninsula such a long way from what we think of as civilization you know london birmingham manchester etc there's a, there's you know some of the biggest things that have happened in global history can be tied directly back to place that's quite something isn't it uh, absolutely uh, it was the f- some somebody kindly told me without place none of it here would it have existed it's where it started and um, the spry family for example owned most of the land round here. They owned lot, lots of all the pole bath side of St. Moore's, where I'm speaking to you now, um, the house I'm speaking to you from now, I bought from a former guest of the hotel, and we have to comply with spry covenants on our properties here, which means um, they're all very sensible things, like we can't grow our trees too high and things like that. And um, a lot of the area... Um, coming into St. Moore's was also owned um, by the Spry family. Most importantly, um, the Pecule River was owned by the Spry family, and they own all the mooring, mooring rights out there. So everybody who has to pay a mooring fee, some of that, of course, goes to the Spry family. And um, They actually won a court case um, against the Crown, and um, managed to secure the ownership, which is quite a rare thing to do. Yes, you don't often win a land battle against the crown, do you? Battle like that, no. Oh, so it's so. Did you have to do much research for the book? You know, diving into the archives, or was it more simply collating things you'd learnt over the years? Um, I'm very indebted to those that came before me. And um, I, I indeed, of course, give acknowledgements to them in the back of the book, um, particularly to Edward Hart, who has really started all this, if you like, whilst the um, hotel existed. And he wrote his own story of place. But he really um, focused very much on the church and the, uh, and the, and the religious side of things. And it is a wonderful building and it has been beautifully restored and, and has been recognised as that by famous architects like Pevsner. Um, he was very convincing about the evidence through sign language in the church and things like that about the, the story of the visit of Jesus, of course, that. But there is a lot. And the church was originally there from about, I don't, I, I don't know, the 12th century. And of course, that is all very well documented since then. Um, he used to sell his book from a shop that was in the hotel. And I think that was the one and only outlet. But of course, he was very unfortunate in the sort of the, the late 1950s, early 60s. He didn't have the photography that we have now. So it's been a lot easier for me to pick off bits and, uh, and sort of add to it. And, of course, go to the museum, see the most famous objects ever found in Cornwall and things like that. 
Lawrence O'Toole, I believe, was the former headmaster at Guerin School. Mm -hmm. He's um, did some research and background stories as well. Obviously, you know, I'm very grateful to him for the background um, information that he's got there. And more interesting, perhaps, to local people now, is, of course, giving the talks prompts people to come to you afterwards. And the first talk I gave at the sailing club, I, I stopped, really, um, at around about two-thirds through the book, if you like, with a picture of Place in the Snow, which is a, a, a very rare thing to mm -hmm. happen. And a gentleman came up to me afterwards called Alan Sadler, who lives in St. Moore's, with some photographs from the Second World War, which he'd, um, were given to him by ex-American -service, servicemen coming here. And sorry, there's a helicopter going overhead. That's <laughs> talking of the servicemen coming. In, we, we were talking of the year, of course, of the D-Day celebration, the 75-year anniversary, and it was incredibly relevant. And it enabled me, with the kind permission of him to use his pictures, to add on the section in the book on the Second World War, which I could link into um, the place of state, which is a wonderful picture of, in the book of the Polvarth area of St. Moore's from the Bohortha farm, which was part of place of state during the war years. Um, more recently... Um, at the presentation I gave earlier this year before the unfortunate lockdown was in um, the Memorial Hall at Gerrans Scatho, which was great again. I mean, the, the places packed out and sitting room only, which is obviously wonderful. And a gentleman came up afterwards um, and gave me a write-up written by one of his relations, which I've got here, who served as an under-nursemaid um, at place from the age of 14 and it includes all the names of the staff and well, I won't run through them all now but there are obviously names like Cruz and Ellis, Harris, Luxon, a lot of people listening to this will know those names and she mentions that her pay was £1.50 a month living in and she thought it a reasonable wage and for time off they got half a day a week between one o'clock and ten o'clock in the evening and one afternoon after lunch to 6.30. And she describes what she did. If I was doing a second edition of the book, I would add this certainly to the bit because it is very similar in its way mm -hmm. to um, what my mother wrote, uh, which forms the narrative section now. Excellent. I'm also very grateful to Roddy de Norman, who um, really is a proper author and gives presentation on, on the war years and things like that. And he's given me information which I've made use of, um, particularly the awful theft story where I was always brought up on Totty's steps, um, which are where Place Ferry goes now. They were, being, they were built by Colonel Totty so that in the First World War, his men had somewhere to land, having got drunk in St. Moore's in the evening. In the Second World War, the steps existed, but sadly, after a dance, there were 
was the wind got up, the, the soldiers from the headland did not take the boat home that was given to them, rowed back and it sank and eight servicemen drowned that night. Um, a, 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 an awful story, all lost really in, in the dreadful stories of wars, of course. And I, um, Roddy has the newspaper cutting that, you know, I could include things like that in, in, in the next version of the book. Well, no, it's lovely to hear that you're you're already plotting edition two because it sounds like there's, there's a lot more stories to come out of this small small spot on a small peninsula uh, in Cornwall. Um, where can people get edition one if they you know the definite definitely exists edition one if they want to uh, to to read in depth? Um, the, the, it's very much a local book, and I, I'm only selling it through local outlets and um, St Moore's Post Office. Andy there. Has, has copies, and the Heritage Centre in Gerrans. They're the easiest ones for everyone to get to, I think. Brilliant. Well, Nigel, thank you so much for coming on and sharing so many fascinating stories. I think you've done a great job of sharing just enough to make us all want to go and grab a copy. So, uh, so nicely done. Um, thank you, Nigel. It's been a pleasure. Okay, I do. Thank you very much indeed. So if you'd like to hear more, even more, about the history of the Roseland and what happened in the war, then take a look through our past episodes as we frequently get historical. You'll find them all wherever you're listening or head to rosenpodcast.com. And our most popular history episode so far is the one we did with Peter Teague and Pete Newman talking about D-Day. That's episode number eight, if you've not heard it or if you want to dive in again. Now, if you've got an idea for us or would like to come on the show, then just drop us an email to roselandpodcast at gmail.com with your ideas and any questions you've got. If you want to make sure you hear the rest of the shows, then bookmark rosenpodcast.com and look for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or your usual podcast app and subscribe. Be kind and stay safe. <laughs>